gathered people of God. It is good and right that we gather here to worship King Jesus, isn't it? Listen, folks, we can go through a week and there are so many things that we can see in this world around us that just kind of suck the soul out of us, it feels like, isn't there? But we get to gather here today as God's people, open up his word, sing praises to the king, and be reminded of wonderful truths and have our spirits filled. And this is right and good, and this is where God's people need to be this Sunday morning. So, so glad that you are gathered here this day. Hey, there are, we're not doing the bulletins to kind of cutting back on some things that we're handing out and all that, but please go to the church website. Make sure you're staying up with what's going on, and I do want to let you know a few things that are on the radar. One that I've been asked to really remind you all of is student camp. Students, July 26th through the 29th is going to be happening here, and today is the deadline for signing up and paying for that student camp. So make sure if you have not done that, you go online and register for that. Also, our men's discipleship breakfast, we're going to be starting that back up on August 1st. August 1st here on that day at 7 o'clock in the morning, we'll be having our men's discipleship breakfast. So guys, go ahead and put that on the calendar. There's also some new men's Bible study opportunities as well as women's ministry coming. So I want to remind you guys of those things. And hey, I've mentioned this before, but I just want to mention it to you again. Thank, because of your faithful giving, we have been able to continue to support missionaries in different projects around the world. And one of them are the Wrights who serve in Bangkok, Thailand. He used to be the worship pastor at one of our church plants, but God called them to Southeast Asia where they are serving as missionaries there. And in the midst of all this coronavirus and lockdowns, they were able to help distribute over 6,000 masks. And we were able to contribute towards that so that they could make those masks and distribute them along with gospel tracts. And they had over 15 people come to faith and two new groups started as a result of that. So God's at work even in the midst of these trying times. He's at work amongst the nations, and I trust that he's at work right here. And that's what we want to do is we want to lift high the name of Jesus where God's placed us. And we want to see his kingdom grow even in the uttermost parts of the world. But let's go to him in prayer right now. And then we are going to continue. I believe we're going to have a get to celebrate some baptisms here this morning. And then worship in song. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we can come into your presence. Not because of any merit that we bring, but only because of the blood of Jesus. And Lord, we are thankful that we can gather as your people in this place today. I pray that you would take this time and use it for your glory, for our good, that you would shape our hearts and our minds by the preaching of the truth of your word. You'd fill our hearts, Father, with love and adoration for you as we lift your name high through song, that you would encourage us with the testimony of baptism. Father, this is your time. I pray that you would do mighty things with it. Lord, we lift up the rights and many others serving in different places around the world, Lord, that you would allow them to be salt and light in darkness, Father. And I pray that we would be your people right here as well, Father, a people on mission, a people on purpose to lift high Jesus right here where you've placed us. Lord, we ask that you just take this time and use it, Lord. Bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Let's stand to our feet this morning. We're going to worship the Lord together and make much of him. We came to celebrate him this morning. Let's put our hands together real quick. That sounds good. Sing with me, church. The whole earth is filled. The whole earth is filled. It's filled with your glory. 
filled with your glory my whole life is filled my whole life is filled it's filled with your glory it's filled with your glory the whole earth is filled the whole earth is filled it's filled with your glory it's filled with your glory my whole be seated. Longview Point, we're going to have the opportunity of beginning our 11 o'clock worship service as we began the 930 with the celebration of believers' baptism. 
It is encouraging and refreshing as your pastor to see so many of you here in the, in the 11 o'clock service. I think, I think there were even more of you here in the 930 service and a decent group in the 815 service as well. I hope that is evidence of a growing confidence at being back out and about. And I hope that's a growing confidence that's well-founded. And uh, so continue to be safe and take reasonable measures as you come and go here as well. Just be careful and let's help one another be careful here as well. We're going to celebrate baptism. This is what it's all about, folks. It really is. This is the coming full circle of the Great Commission call of God on our life. We as believers in Jesus have been bought by the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. We are saved through his death and resurrection. We are subjects of the King, and the King has commissioned us to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the very end of the world. When we celebrate baptism on some level, we're celebrating the obedience of the church and carrying forth the gospel message and communicating to the world that indeed Jesus saves. And we're celebrating the faithfulness of God to continue in the work of seeking and saving that which was lost. We're celebrating new faith. In the case of this morning's baptism, these three young ladies were celebrating what God has done in their life. That in spite of the fact that they were dead in their sins and trespasses, they have been made alive in Christ Jesus by his blood and resurrection power. If you're here this morning as a believer, as many of you are, I hope that this morning's baptism celebration will serve as a reminder of your own baptism. That you'll remember where you were and the circumstances under which God spoke to you and saved you from your sin. That you'll be reminded of the sweetness of that new fellowship that you enjoyed in those days with Jesus Christ. And that continues with him even until this very moment. If you're here this morning and perhaps you've been reluctant to follow through in baptism from time to time, I run upon misgivings. Although someone has come to faith, there may be some resistance to baptism for a variety of reasons. I hope that the example of these three young ladies serves as an encouragement to you. Baptism doesn't save you. We'd never suggest that. But as subjects of the king, we certainly want to adhere to what the king commands us to do. It's a public and powerful way of communicating in a visible way what God has done invisibly in the heart of the believer. Maybe you're here as an individual who's never trusted Christ for the salvation of your soul. You believe perhaps on some level or maybe even you don't. But there's never been in your life a decisive moment of faith commitment where you turned away from the things of this world and to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and the promise of everlasting life. May their testimony resonate with you. I pray that as you watch this baptism that you would hear the message of the gospel. Join with us in our celebration. This morning we have three young ladies. Victoria Sanders will be the first of our three young ladies who will testify to the gospel power of Jesus in her life. Victoria, before God and this gathering of his people, do you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? I do. Amen. Upon your confession of faith, it is my honor to baptize you now, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is Elizabeth Mahoney, and Elizabeth has come this morning professing faith in Jesus as well. Elizabeth, before God in this gathering of his church, do you confess Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior? Amen. Upon your confession, it is my honor to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
Last but not least, this is Kayla Atkinson. Kayla likewise comes professing faith. Kayla, before this gathering of God's people and before the Lord himself, do you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life? Amen. Kayla, upon your confession, it's my honor to baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hey, if there's a better way to start the Lord's day together, I don't know about it. How about that? Let's bow together and thank the Lord. Father, thank you that you are still about the business of seeking and saving that which was lost. Thank you, Lord, that you awaken the dead in sin to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that while we were enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. God, we, we are thankful that though once aliens, though once separated, though once given to evil, you've made us holy and blameless and righteous by the blood of your Son. Thank you, Father, for the one who knew no sin, yet became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Somebody hits a game winning three, everybody stands to their feet and they go nuts, you know? Or you've been to a football game and they throw a touchdown pass that wins the game, everybody stands and goes nuts. Can we just stand and just give God all the glory for what he's done this morning? It's a whole lot better than a game winning shot or a touchdown. He is in the saving business, folks. He is in the saving business. We just give him the glory this morning. Let's sing together.
him for his goodness this morning, church. Amen. Hey, just lift your voices with me right here. Oh, Lord, my God.
church. Give him glory. He is worthy. He is worthy. Lord, we love you this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you bled and died on our account. Lord, we just give you glory this morning and just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 2. We'll look together this morning at verses 12 through 18, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. I'm really convinced that in order to appreciate the fullness of what the Apostle Paul calls us to in verses 12 through 18, we have to have at least some awareness of what Philippians 2, 1 through 11 holds for us. So as you're settling in and finding your spot in your copy of God's Word, let's summarize just briefly. In verses 1 through 4 of Philippians chapter 2, Paul essentially calls the church at Philippi and believers of every generation and every location to humility. He says that we are to consider others as more important than ourselves, that we are to guard against the kind of pride and conceit and arrogance that is the anti-gospel. If there is anything that is the antithesis of gospel grace and humility, it is pride and arrogance. The Apostle Paul calls us to follow after the example of Jesus and then provides us with a deeply rich explanation for what it is that Jesus has done for our salvation. He tells us the gospel. And in the process of telling us the gospel, he provides us not only with the message of what Jesus has done to redeem us from our sin, but holds forth Jesus as the example of great humility. Jesus is described here as equal with God. However, he does not consider his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. In fact, he would forego his rights and privileges even in his superiority, in order to redeem the inferior humanity to himself. Jesus is better than mankind, and yet Jesus foregoes the rights and privileges of his superiority in order that we might have the forgiveness of our sin and the promise of heaven in the thereafter. Now, as a result of Jesus embracing humiliation in his earthly life, God the Father has granted him exaltation, so much so that Jesus has received the name that is above every name. Because Jesus embraced death and even death on the cross, he has been given the exalted name so that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, in my experience in reading Philippians 2 material and in listening to Philippians 2 preaching, and even in my own personal devotional readings of Philippians 2, we read verses 1 through 11 together very well. And then somehow, in our mind, there's a break, there's a transition between verses 11 and verse 12. So, somehow we separate these two sections. And what I want to really press here is that what Paul commands we do in verses 12 through 18 is rooted in the theological content of verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. If you miss that, you're missing an important part of what the Apostle Paul is communicating. Now with that background in mind, I want to invite you, if you would, to stand with me out of respect and honor for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in verse number 12. The Bible says, so then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly to the message of life 
Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. Three very straightforward commandments issued in these few verses, the first of which comes in verse number 12. Paul begins, so then. It's a neat transitional phrase in our English translations, but it's also a reminder to us that what's about to be said is, again, following after what has been said in the prior verses. That what comes next is rooted, again, in that theological content in the previous verses. So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, there's a statement of some endearance here, right? He says, Philippian church, you've obeyed whether I was there or not. My dear friends, now hear this. Work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. That's commandment number one. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now note that the apostle did not say work for your salvation with fear and with trembling, which would suggest that our salvation is the product of our own personal effort, that somehow we're getting our act together, we're pulling it all together, we're, we're laboring to adhere to certain commands so that we could win favor with God. That's not the way salvation works at all. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, the Bible says explicitly. We are not saved by the things that we do. That's not what the Apostle Paul says. He says, work out your own salvation in fear and in trembling. That is, work out the implications of the salvation you have been given by grace alone through faith alone. Live in such a way that, is, that your life is reflective of the salvation you have received through Jesus Christ. Work out your own salvation in fear and in trembling. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like to work out your salvation? If we remember the context in which Paul is saying this, and it follows from this explanation of what Jesus has done for us, what we have here is a call to finish well. In fact, you have two calls to finish well in our passage. So Jesus in his life persists until the end. Jesus gives himself over to the Father's mission even to the point of death. And although his earthly life did not end in a way that we would regard as well from an earthly perspective, he died, he was crucified. Without sin, he was crucified. It ultimately ends well for him in that the Father exalts him and gives him the name of superiority, the name above every name. His name is Lord. When we pattern our lives after Jesus, it may not end well from a worldly perspective, but it always ends well in Jesus. You can afford to spend your life being poured out as a sacrifice in service to King Jesus. And there is always the great reward that awaits us. Working out your salvation in fear and in trembling in this context, at least on some level, means keep serving Jesus. In the face of opposition, keep pressing, keep plowing, keep plotting, labor for the advancement of the kingdom in service to King Jesus. Work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. The language of fear and trembling here is specifically chosen, I believe. Fear, in our minds, is this idea of being afraid of something. But there's more here. There's the connotation of self-distrust. Work out your salvation in self-distrust. Note that you have the capacity for great sinfulness, and you need to, in light of that, work out your salvation. So I've seen this scenario, and likely you've seen this scenario if you've been a part of the church for any time. You see a husband and wife or a family, and at some point in their relationship, they're an integral part of the church. They're a part of the fellowship of the church. Perhaps they have a devotional life that they share in together as a family, and things seem to be plugging along quite well. 
They're even the kind of family that you might look to as an example, someone you'd want to model your life after. And over the course of time, that, that family, that couple, they begin to take for granted the product of working out their salvation with fear and trembling, and they just sort of begin to drift. It usually begins by exchanging the disciplines connected to working out our salvation in fear and trembling for the excesses of, the, of this world. We trade in our walk with Jesus for little bits of cheap counterfeits that the world offers to provide us with. And time goes by and there's just drift, there's just drift, there's just drift and there's coldness and there's barrenness and there's just drift and there's drift. And sometimes months and maybe even years go past and you see them again out of the fellowship of the church, out of the fellowship of the Spirit, marriage in shambles and family a mess. Now what's happened? What's happened? The breakdown of this principle of working out your salvation in the distrust of yourself you may be here this morning and things may be going swimmingly for you. You're walking with Jesus, you're in the fellowship of the church, you're in the fellowship of the Spirit, and things just flat could not be better in your world. And I just want to warn you that in spite of how things seem to be going at the present, you still have a great capacity for sin. The call of God on your life this morning is to work out your salvation in fear, the distrust of yourself, and in great trembling. You may be looking out at others who are making poor decisions about the direction of their life, maybe poor marriage decisions, maybe poor family decisions, maybe poor individual decisions, and you ought to be saying with humility in your heart this morning, in fear and in trembling, but for the grace of God go I. Working out your salvation in fear and in trembling may be difficult for us to quantify. It may be challenging for us to define, but we know it when we see it. It's laboring in word and in deed. It's persevering in prayer and in faithfulness. It's striving to pursue righteousness in our life personally. It's holding on to Jesus as though Jesus is all there is because we've realized that indeed Jesus is all that there is. Paul says, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. He speaks here in verse 12 as though our sanctification, our growth and maturity in the gospel is our work and our work alone, right? Labor, strive, and strain. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 13. For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Now verse 13 sounds as though it's the work of God and God alone sanctifying and cleansing and purifying your life, growing you in grace and maturity. So the question is this, who is to attend to your sanctification? Who is to monitor, to maintain, and to manage your growth? Is it God or you? The answer is yes. That's the answer. So there are two kind of extreme camps on this issue. There, there are, there's a group known as the quietists. This is how they're described in theological circles. And the quietists would say that the work of our sanctification is exclusively the work of God. God waves a wand and we're touched by this supernatural wand and automatically our lives are sanctified and in great accord with his will. Now, these are overgeneralizations, but this may be helpful in understanding the balance that Paul strikes here. And then there are the pietists who would say, this is our work. We are to strain and strive and labor. It's our work and almost our work exclusively, and both have missed the mark. What we may struggle with sometimes in theological circles, you have experienced full well in your lives practically. You understand this concept. If you're a teacher and you have a child who possesses an above average intellect, perhaps they're bright and perhaps even exceptionally bright. If you're a good teacher, you will exhort them, study and strive, learn all that you can and avail yourself of the gift that is in you, all of the advantage, advantages of this gift that is clearly within you. Because of your giftedness, you ought to labor all the more. 
If you're a coach or a parent and you have a, a child or someone who's playing for you and they have above average athletic abilities, you want to encourage him or her that because of their natural giftedness, because you see something in that athlete, that they would labor and strive and strain to avail themselves of the advantages that come with this natural ability. You see something in them that would compel you as a leader to press them all the more to work toward the goal. The Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, God would say to the people of God today, I see Jesus in you. And because I see Jesus at work in you, there's something different about you than everyone else around you. There's a unique gifting that you possess that ought to compel you to labor and strain and strive to avail yourself of all the gifts and advantages that come with possessing the Spirit of God in our heart. Work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. Now, y'all ready for this next one? I've been accused of being abusive with the prior two services on the basis of this, this verse. Are y'all ready? In verse 14, we have our second command. This is a verse that has been talked about, memorized, written on boards, placards, and taught and trained. It's been the life verse at the Stevens house off and on over the past 15 years. We're still working on it. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. I prefer the King James, which says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Moms and dads, this is a good verse when your kids don't want to do their chores. Just sick Jesus on them. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. But the application of this verse is as critically important for us as adults as it is for our kiddos. We said last week, just kind of in a sidebar comment, that if you can master this command, you're like a unicorn in our generation, right? You'll be unusual. You'll be a standout. And we're inclined to think that that's exclusive to our day and age, but it was true in first century Philippi as well. Look at what Paul says in verse 15. Do all things without grumbling and complaining so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. Paul didn't use the language of unicorns. He used stars in the world. If you really want to stand out, if you want to be exceptional, if you want to be unique, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now again, we're not just lifting some kind of moral command from the Bible to say if we do this, we're going to be all right with Jesus. This is deeply rooted in what we've had described of Jesus in chapter 2. Grumbling and complaining is the antithesis of the kind of humility that the Apostle Paul has called us to and that Jesus embodies in his earthly ministry. The reason we grumble and complain is because we are prideful and conceited. We grumble and complain when we don't get what we believe we deserve, when we forget that we don't deserve anything apart from Jesus. We grumble and complain when others get better than we believe they deserve, when we forget in Christ there is absolute equality, and outside of Christ, for that matter, there's absolute equality as well. We're all dead in sins and trespasses. When we forget who we are in Jesus, the natural product of that forgetfulness is grumbling and complaining, and usually grumbling and complaining about everything. Now, this is an opportunity for us to evaluate ourselves. There, there are a few commands in my mind that really help us to do some self-assessment, right? If you are a constant grumbler or complainer, there's a real heart issue attached to that. You cannot have grumbling and complaining without issues of pride. Now, the, here's the fascinating thing. I said what I said about being abusive or being accused of being abusive in the early services, just sort of in jest. But the conversations post-service one and two have been fascinating because most of them have revolved around grumbling and complaining about the extent to which we grumble and complain. We, we are bent on grumbling and complaining. Now, 
here's what I found this to be helpful in my own journey. In times when I'm just dry and I, I want to labor to be brought near to Jesus, if I can identify a command from God that I know I don't possess the ability to meet, such as do all things without grumbling or complaining, and then pursue obedience to that command on that day. It's like fasting in that it's a constant reminder of my utter dependency on the power of the Spirit of God. Now, some of you just have a pleasant disposition. You may not struggle with kindness. There may be any number of things that come more naturally for you. But I want to submit to you that this command doesn't come naturally for any of us. And laboring to honor what this text requires of us will keep us, essentially, keep us dependent upon the work and leadership of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not going to say much else about this verse because I think it's self-explanatory. But I do want to encourage you to wrestle, to reckon with this text, to write it on your rearview mirror, a little post-it note or an index card, to stick it on the bathroom mirror where you get ready in the mornings, to make this a signpost for your family and to labor to make your marriage and your home and the relationships that you enjoy places of peace for the world around you. Because eventually people get sick of yeah, yeah, right? And if you really want to be a unicorn in our terms, a star in this world in the Apostle Paul's terms, you will labor and strain and strive toward adhering to what he has required of us in verse 14 of this text. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. There's just one more command in our passage in verse number 16. Paul says, hold firmly to the message of life. There it is. Hold firmly to the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice in me. In essence, Paul says, hold firm. And whether I live or die, I'll know that I've not labored in vain. I'll rejoice in your salvation. Hold firm. Don't let go. And whether we die in the service of Jesus, we'll know collectively that we've not labored in vain. We'll rejoice in the salvation afforded us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, hold firmly to the message. The idea here is finish well. Run your race until the end. Don't stop pursuing Jesus. Press forth. Run through the finish line that God might be greatly honored in your life. Hold firmly to the message. Now, in our context, in our cultural context, I don't necessarily see a lot of people who just fall off the theological wagon at the end of their life. Like, I don't see a lot of senior adults in churches dabbling in unorthodox theology and defecting on the basis of a change in convictions. But I do see men and women just saying, I've done my time. I'm finished. People who speak of serving the church, people who speak of serving Jesus as though it was a prison sentence. I did my time, Brother Wade. It's somebody else's turn. I, I, I remember praying through and talking with brother pastors and other ministers about the decision to come here and be your, be your pastor. And people would say, now I'm 38 years old, which is young, by the way, 38 years old. And people would say things to me like, this is an important decision for you because in a few short years, you're going to be past the prime of your ministry. I'm 38 years old. I'm not past the prime of anything. There's almost this mentality in our world that we've got this brief window of opportunity that comes with youth, and that once that season is passed, that we're of no value. That's a, that's a life issue, by the way. That's another topic. But I, I want you to know, listen to me carefully. You will know when your window of opportunity for kingdom advancing work has passed. 
is your cold, lifeless body will be lying there. The doctor will walk over and put two fingers on your wrist and pronounce you dead. And your window of opportunity will be closed. But until that day comes, we have been planted here to make an eternal difference in this world by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, finish well. Finish well. We evaluate a person's sincerity and salvation, the validity of their conversion experience by the way they begin their race. That's typically the way we see things. We celebrate big responses and invitations, and we, we celebrate a person's great emotional expression when they come to believe the gospel, and those are praiseworthy things that we should celebrate. But we don't spend nearly enough time celebrating the race well run. In the past week, J.I. Packer died. Most of you won't know who J.I. Packer is, but I'm telling you, he was... He was a man among men theologically. His works have encouraged me and informed my understanding of the Bible in remarkable ways. He was theologian par excellence. But for me, watching him from a distance before I ever got to his theological contributions or his incredible intellect, I, you could see him coming. And it was like Elijah in the Old Testament. Behold a man of God. You could... You could See it in him. I, I said that in the earlier service, and I was thinking about this area and individuals that you might know, people that you might know that would sort of resonate with you so that you'd understand what, what I mean. In the Mid-South, I think it was Gray Allison, kind of man who could just walk in a room. He was there at, at Mid-America. Some of you will know him, some of you won't. But when he, when he walked in, you didn't have to know him or much about him, and you knew that was a man of godly character, a man who was deeply committed to the gospel. Now, the thing that saddened me about the death of J.I. Packer was not his passing. He's in heaven with Jesus. It was the fact that there just aren't other men like him. And I don't know how we've come to this place, but there is a generational gap. There, there's about a 20-year span there where we really need some heroes in the faith to step up and to be who God has called them to be. Men and women who will hold firmly to the message of life to the very end of the earthly life that God has given them. Brothers and sisters, work out your salvation in fear and in trembling. Do all things without grumbling or complaining. Hold firmly to the message of life. Let's go to Jesus in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and your work among us. Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Spirit that you provide. God, that you've not commanded anything of us, that you've not provided the power of the Spirit to follow through. God, I pray that you would break our hearts over our sin that this business of doing all things without grumbling and complaining would serve as a gauge for our heart. Pray, Lord, that you would, through the work of your Spirit, that we would, through self-examination, measure the pride in our heart, the extent to which confession needs to be made and humility embraced. I pray, God, that you would create in us, Lord, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, Lord, I pray that you'd give us all that we need for life and godliness, that we would work out our salvation in fear and in trembling. God, help us. God, help us that as the days and weeks and months and years pass, that we would hold firmly to the message of life. God, as we resolve to never let go, we plead that you would never let go of us. God, you have saved us. We pray, God, that you would keep us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you would, where you are, to go ahead and to stand. We're going to have a time of invitation and commitment. A time when we would invite you to respond to the preaching of God's Word. Maybe this morning you're here and separated from God. You'd have to acknowledge that things are just a mess. And you don't have the resources to fix them. 
The message of the Christian faith is not get yourself together and come to church. The message of the Christian faith is that Jesus comes to us where we are in our mess, forgives us of our sin, plants within us the Spirit of God that enables the obedience we've been missing all our lives. Maybe this morning you'd come to him in faith and receive the forgiveness of your sin, the promise of everlasting life. You come. Maybe you're here this morning and encouraged by the example of obedience and baptism that you witnessed early in our service, and you'd follow after that example. Jesus has saved you, and it's your desire to attest to that salvation, to bear witness to what Jesus has done invisibly through the visible expression of believer's baptism. Or maybe it's your desire this morning to come into the to faith family of our church here. We'd love to have you as a part of what God is doing here, and we invite you to come. If there's any way whatsoever that I could pray for you or encourage you that we could provide you counsel, answer the invitation during these next few verses. As God works and moves in our hearts, answer the call. Let's sing together. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone Can change the leper spots And melt the heart of stone Jesus paid it all All to Him I owe in it left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat Jesus paid it all All to him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow Sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thank you. You may be seated. Welcome to The Point. Here's what's going on. The women's ministry will host a new Bible study this fall. This study will be held on Wednesday evenings at 6.15 p.m. in room 215. Cost per person is $10.00. Register at longviewpoint.org or on our Longviewpoint mobile app. Information for an online option of this study will be available soon. Contact Varianne Salters for details.
The Men's Discipleship Breakfast will meet again on Saturday, August 1st at 7 a.m. Men of all ages are encouraged to join us for breakfast, fellowship, and discipleship. For more information about this ministry, contact Pastor Trey. A new men's Bible study will be offered on Tuesday evenings beginning August 4th. All men are invited to join us on Tuesdays at 6.30 p.m. in the student suite. Contact Dale Hare for details. We are now accepting monetary donations to provide clothing and necessities for children in need from our community this fall. If you would like to contribute, donations can be made online or dropped in the gift drop box or the contribution boxes at the exits of the sanctuary. For more information, contact Christy Douglas. That's what's going on at The Point. Let's expand His kingdom across the street and around the world. Hey, I think we have a manageable registration for our starting point class, which is immediately after this service. So if you're here um, as an inquiring prospective member and you'd like to drop in on starting point, as long as we're not overrun, as long as like 30 of you don't show up, we're in good shape. So as long as, long as we've got a reasonable number, but if you'd like to come, I think we've got a spot for you in the starting point class that begins uh, once things are cleared out here. That's the mandatory new members class that's offered once a month, and I've had several people ask about that recently. I know it's been tricky holding starting point and membership uh, issues and those kinds of things with the COVID stuff that's been going on, uh, but that is available to you this afternoon. We're not receiving and won't for some time an, an offering in a traditional sense with the passing of plates, but the give boxes are in the back, one in that corner, two at the main entrance, and then the give box in the wall to your right in the back right corner. And we are not, as you've uh, experienced already, I'm sure, printing bulletins and probably won't for some time. To be perfectly honest, it would make my day to never have to do a print bulletin again because we have the ability to do that digitally. So I want to encourage you to uh, download the long... I know some of y'all like to be able to scribble on something while, while you're here. We'll get you some notepaper or something. I'm sure in some way they'll come back, so don't panic on me. But the more of you that can download the app and access those resources in a digital format, it's a cost saver, a time saver, it's just a little easier on our end, and hopefully it will come to be something that's a little easier on your end. Here's one thing that we noticed about the sermon notes for you OCD note takers. The sermon notes on the Longview Point app, if you put the wrong thing in the blank, it will correct it for you. So you will be relieved to know that all of your answers in the blanks will be correct from now on if you, if you utilize the app. There are about 600 of you who've downloaded that app. Um, which I, we were talking about this this week. I think that's probably a good number because I envision most of you men bumping your wife and saying, download the app because you don't know your Apple password, but at least somebody in the family has it. So if that's the way, if it's twice that number, we're in pretty good shape, but make sure that you get the app downloaded. It'll be useful to you in a, a variety of ways. Hey, be careful out there. I see a big crowd has come in today and the three services combined, and I'm encouraged by that on the one hand, and I'm sort of scared by that on the other hand. So be careful about the things that you do. Just take reasonable precautions in your life. Be careful, and hopefully we'll continue to baby step towards some normalcy around here. We're going to stand and be dismissed with prayer. Have a great day in Jesus. Take the good news of the gospel with you where you go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance to meet together. Uh, we, we say that with sincerity, and, and we certainly don't take it for granted in ways that we have before. God, I pray that as we prepare to depart, each of us to go our separate way, that whether it be a family dinner or even a meal within our own family or restaurant setting, whatever it is that we set out to do from this point forward with today, I pray that you would keep us faithful, that you would open doors, provide opportunities for us to share with those that we have contact with of what Jesus has done in our life. Lord, I pray that, that we'd tell them that the one who knew no sin became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. 
And we tell them that though we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that by faith in Jesus we have been made alive. I pray that we tell them of the joy and the gladness that we have in Christ and how it's our earnest desire to live our life in service to him until he gathers us to himself. God, help us to speak with joy and with conviction and grant us compassion for the lostness of the world around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.